Hey, thanks for downloading the Cross Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. We're going to finish up our series on the last days. It's really the last hours of Jesus' life. We spent a lot of time talking about the theology of Jesus' prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So dig into it with me. Thanks for being a podcast listener. Glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Cross Defense. God be praised. Another day of his mercy and his love for us. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, joining you every Monday afternoon to talk about the scriptures and try to, we're fighting, this is always a strategy, we're fighting back against the devil who wants us to become bored with theology. I don't know, I saw a bunch of boredom this week. Just four or five notes from people said they're home, they're home with nothing to do, bored. Well, anyway. Good time to dust off the old Bible. Here's Psalm 91, first couple of verses. Pastor Sean Denzer, who's the chaplain of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. By the way, we're looking at the last few hours of Jesus' life today. That's going to be our, that's going to be our tactic, our our topic of study on cross defense today. We're gonna, in fact, the three hours of darkness on the cross. But we're just getting warmed up here with Psalm 91. Pastor Denzer, chaplain of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, issued the Psalm 91 challenge, which is to memorize, study, memorize Psalm 91 in this time of plague. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now that is beautiful. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. The Lord is a very present help in time of trouble. This is the doctrine, the teaching of the Psalms and of the scriptures that the Lord is always there to help. He's always, he is our help. Now, how about this? Just to think about this. If the Lord says that I am your help, he must know something about us, namely that we need help. And isn't that true? So this idea, this title, this office that comes to us from the Lord is really quite stunning that he is our helper. It's an honor, by the way, that I mean, to just consider that. It's the same word that's over and over used of the Lord. I am your helper that the Lord gives to Eve in the garden. I'll make a helper fit for him. Well, anyway. So God be praised for that, and I, I want to challenge you with that as well. If you're looking for something to do, take up the Psalm 91. Read this psalm, and I imagine you guys can memorize it before me. I have such a hard time memorizing the Scripture. It's like, um, I don't know molasses brains anyway we're taking up the topic of the last few hours of jesus life we've been talking for the, really the whole season of lent we've been walking through the last days of jesus life and uh we've come to the cross last week and now we've come to the darkness this week now to remind you jesus was arrested on friday night excuse me it was well how do we say it friday he was so monday thursday Jesus institutes the supper, the sun goes down, so it's Friday, I guess it'd be Friday morning for the Jewish reckoning of things. For us, it would be late Thursday night. Jesus takes his disciples to the garden. He's praying and he's arrested there and he has through the night, Thursday night or Friday morning, depending on how you say it. Thursday night, Friday morning, he's, he has his uh, trials, his two Jewish trials. He, then in the morning when the sun comes up, he has his three uh, pagan trials, Roman trials, Pilate and Herod, and then back to Pilate. Then Jesus is condemned, handed over to the soldiers, and they lead him away to be crucified. They take him to uh, to Calvary. So I said I was. I think I preached this wrong on Sunday. I always mix up. You know, I want to. I want to mix up the two words, cavalry and Calvary. 
So the horse army is the cavalry, and the place where Jesus was crucified is Calvary. Uh, anyway, he's they take him to Calvary, to Golgotha, to the place of the skull, and there they crucify him. One man on his right, one man on his left. The two men are mocking Jesus, but one is watching and says, no, something different is happening here. So he believes in Jesus, and Jesus gives him these great promises. In fact, we have those three, we have seven words from Jesus on the cross, and we have three of them right there at the beginning of his suffering. He, he says, um, today you'll be with me in paradise. He says to Mary, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. And uh, and then Jesus said, the first words he said, can you imagine? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Absolutely beautiful. That's from 9 until noon. In fact, Jesus is going to be on the cross for six hours. And the first three are covered there. And then we get to, and then we get to noon. And darkness is going to cover the face of the earth. Really amazing. So we want to pick up the reading here with Matthew chapter 27. And if you want to follow along, we've, I've kind of just pasted the, together the different events that happened from the different readings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and put them all together in an outline. And, th and you can find that at wolfmuller.co slash passion. wolfmuller.co slash passion. And you can follow along. Matthew 27, verses 45 to 49 say this now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lama sabachthani that is my God my God why have you forsaken me some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. So far the text. Now that's a couple of things. <clears throat> Number one, uh, it seems like this hour, these three hours of darkness need to be understood theologically. We talked about in the last couple of weeks how there's three kinds of suffering that Jesus is enduring on the cross. There's the suffering of pain, which is the physical agony of the crucifixion. There's the suffering of the shame of the cross, and that's the suffering that really the epistles and the gospels most especially talk about, the suffering of shame. Amazing. Uh, that Jesus was beaten and mocked and they, they walked by wagging their heads and everything else like this. And then there's this suffering, which is the suffering of darkness. This darkness is this indication. I think I heard this preached one time, and I think this probably works, I mean, at least for preaching, that the darkness is the Lord turning his, his head away. A darkness is an indication of the forsakenness of Jesus by God. And if we, if we need clarity on that, then Jesus is going to pray this psalm. This, uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Th this is what's indicated with um, Isaiah 53, which is this beautiful Good Friday text, where it says, 
I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. So say, for example, Isaiah 53, verse 4, which says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Smitten by God. Now, it could be that, oh, we esteemed him stricken, but we said, boy, he must be stricken by God, but maybe he's not. But look at over in verse 10, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased, think about that. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall seed, he shall prolong his days. Oh, it's fantastic. But that the Lord is pleased to lay on him the iniquity of us all. It's like, um, I, I'll tell you a story. I was preaching one time. Oh, this is amazing. <clears throat> I got to preach in Botswana, this little church right on the edge of the bush in Saroe, Botswana. And I was preaching in English, and I didn't know Tishwani. I don't know if you guys are surprised by that. You're like, surely I figured you knew Tishwani, but alas, sorry, did I have no, so I'm, I'm, so I'm preaching and it's being translated there by the missionary. And I use this illustration to talk about how Jesus suffers God's wrath in our place. And I told the story of one time when I was little and I was watching one of our, our children, uh, I was probably sitting there reading a book and they were in the shower and, um, and they tottered over, uh, to the edge of the shower and, uh, and just take the cold water and uh and and just turn it all the way off and uh and so now you know what's happening is all the hot water is coming and it's going to come right on them and i saw this happen and i reacted by by leaning over by by kind of jumping up throwing the books and leaning over my child so that the hot water would go on my back and not on them. And so it comes and it scalds my back ah, like this. And I'm turning back on the cold water to get that going. So it's normal. And then I move away. And they don't even know the difference. They don't even know what happened. The, the, the anger of the water that they've invited on themselves by their own actions, they don't suffer because someone else stands in between. And that's the picture of Jesus. Here comes God's wrath. We've done it. On purpose we've done it. And maybe even it was done for us by Adam. And he, whoom, here comes the hot water. And, and Jesus comes and he leans over us so that the wrath of God falls on him and not on us, not on Jesus and not on you. Can you imagine it? He was stricken, afflicted, smitten by God. He uh, On him the, the chastise... Oh, drop my glasses. On him the chastisement for us, for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. It's fantastic. For the transgression, down in verse 8, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Boy, oh boy. So Jesus does all of this. He suffers in our place so that the anger and wrath of God goes on him and not on us. And so I, I was preaching this in this little, in this little service in, in Botswana, and, and the missionary stopped, and he looked at me funny, like I had said something wrong. And, uh... And he kind of paused, and he looked around, and he looked back at me, and he paused, and I said, is everything okay? And he said, yeah, 
there's just no word for shower. <laughs> I didn't didn't think about that. It wasn't contextual. Anyway, this is the picture I saw. I saw this week. This is amazing. I saw this week a picture of a, a, a of a crucifix, and on one hand, on one side, it had this flame kind of coming like this. And there was a crucifix and Jesus hanging on the cross and the flame stopped. And there we were standing on the other side. There's a phrase that Philip Melanchthon, remember old Philip Melanchthon, the old Lutheran guy? He said that, that faith sets Christ between itself and the wrath of God. So that God's anger is coming and, and, and Jesus stands in the breach he takes the hit he he takes the punishment he pray, he pays the price and that suffering the suffering for our sin the suffering of god's wrath for our sin that's the suffering that's indicated by the 3 hours of darkness the suffering of the lamb of god who's bearing the sins of the world and jesus is going to highlight it for us by praying Psalm 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Psalm 22, verse 1. Now, there's so much to say about this verse. We, are, we might spend a lot of time talking about this verse today, because there's so, and this psalm is so much to talk about. But just a couple of textual notes. Number one, uh, there's a few times, it, in, if you read, um, okay, so before that, uh, uh, there's, a, there's seven words from Jesus on the cross, uh, Matthew and Mark only give us one. So John tells us three things that Jesus says. Luke tells us three things that Jesus says, and they're different. So, so that gives us a total of six. But then Mark and Matthew tell us only one, and it's this one. The cry of dereliction, the prayer of Psalm 22. But it's very interesting to note that Mark gives it to us in Aramaic. It's Eloi, if you read Mark, it says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And then if you read in Matthew, he gives us the Hebrew. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It's interesting that Mark gives us like, I think three or four times, if you're watching you, uh, live on YouTube, you can do the research and tell me if, how many times, but there's, a, there's three or four times when Mark will give us the original Aramaic of the thing that Jesus said, like Tabitha Kum and so forth. He, he just gives us some of the original quotations. And this seems like another one of those places where Mark is giving us the original Aramaic of what Jesus said. Matthew, it's thought, was first written in Hebrew which is really interesting, and then translated. Who knows? The old history says that the Gospel of Matthew was translated by Matthew himself into Greek for use amongst the Greek-speaking people, and he gives us this cry in, in Hebrew. And it's important for him. That's the only, as far as I can remember, the only mention of any Hebrew texts that's given to us in the Gospel of Matthew. But it's interesting and part of the plot because they hear him say, Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. But the people, the soldiers think that he's calling for Elijah. Elijah, come and rescue me. And so that becomes part of the plot. Let's see if Elijah will come. But Jesus is praying here, and in this, he's praying Psalm 22, verse 1. But what we ought to understand is that Jesus is praying the whole psalm. So it only records the first verse for us, but the theology of Psalm 22 is being brought to bear in this, in this forsakenness of Jesus by God. 
And we want to dig into that a little bit because that is going to be the, this deep and profound suffering that's Jesus on the cross winning our salvation. So we'll do that on the other side. We've got to take our first quick break, so stick with me. We'll go to the break, and then we'll be right back to talk about this cry of dereliction, the fourth word from the cross as he cries out in anguish. Stay with me. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. You're listening to Cross Defense, and we will be right back. This week on Joy, my song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me. This is Ron Clem. It's Holy Week. Be sure to join me Maundy Thursday and Good Friday at a special time for some incredibly moving and meaningful music on Joy. Maundy Thursday, 1 p.m. on KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of 2 Timothy. We'll study the hymn, Glory Be to Jesus, with Pastor Will Whedon. We'll discuss private confession and absolution with Pastor Peter Bender. And we'll talk with Pastor Paul McCain about the righteousness of faith in the solid declaration of the formula of Concord. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Hi. I'm Gary Duncan, the executive director of KFUO Radio. We are all impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. All of the KFUO staff is practicing social distancing by working from home offices and temporary home studios. Our promise to you is that we will continue to bring you the word of Christ in our programming and worship services, the clear message that we've been proclaiming since 1924. During this worldwide pandemic, we will continue to share the comfort of Scripture. God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. That's from Psalm 46, 1. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. And rest assured that when you turn on the radio, click on our live stream, or download your favorite podcast, we will be here proclaiming Christ for you anytime, anywhere. KFUO.org. All right, welcome back to Cross Defense. I forgot to make this announcement at the beginning of the show that I'm going to try something new tomorrow. Uh, the Worldwide Bible Class. I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to try it. We we started our Bible class at uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church uh, and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church here in Austin, Texas. We're doing that by Zoom, but people wanted to jump in, but we wanted to keep that for the congregation. So let's say, well, let's just try a Bible class. We invite everybody in the whole world to be part of it. Uh, so... Anyway, that's going to start tomorrow morning, Tuesday, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, Central Time. If you are interested in that, all the links to join us for the class is um, is found on the website, wolfmuller.co slash Bible. Um, wolfmuller.co slash Bible. And that, uh, that'll be fun. We're going to talk about the chronology of Holy Week. So we'll back it up and talk about the whole week next week. And then I think we'll do a Bible study on hope. That's what I'm kind of interested in, and then we might we might study the book of Revelation if that whole thing goes well. So worldwide worldwide Bible class tomorrow, Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock, wolfmuller.co slash Bible. We're talking about Psalm 22, which is gl absolutely glorious. Now, it's one of the things that 
an important tactic. My friend Pastor Ketchmeyer keeps hammering this, hammering me with this, and I think it's right. Is that whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it brings with it all the context. So the apostles are not proof texting the prophets; they're bringing the whole context with them. So whenever you get a, a psalm quoted, like for example, when the devil quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus when he's being tempted, he's bringing the whole psalm to bear. Well, the problem is the devil is not bringing the whole psalm; but he leaves a part out, which is the key. But when Jesus, for example, quotes Psalm 22, we are to bring the whole psalm over. And how beautiful to consider that this psalm takes us through the, these three hours of darkness. And it takes us into the depth of the humiliation of Jesus. It's, it is a stunning thing to consider. In fact, Psalm 22 is going to say more about the threefold suffering of Jesus on the cross, the physical and the shame and the, the wrath of God suffering on the cross, uh, perhaps more than more clearly than any other text, and it's written by King David a thousand years before. David, remember, was he was um, ordained as the king in 1010 BC, and Solomon became king in 970, 971, 40 years. David ruled, so that that's a long time before this happened. Now, now, just as I'll let you in on how I think about this. There's other people that think differently about this, that David was kind of a type of Christ or something, that David was just praying the psalm and Jesus sort of takes it as his own. My, my thinking about this is that Jesus, that David in the spirit sees the suffering of Jesus and now is going to unfold it for us in the psalm. It's my own, my own thinking anyways. But I think I, I think I'm fair in thinking that. That's what, how Peter thinks about David's prophecy in the book of Acts. But anyway, I want to enough of that. Let's get into the text. So, Psalm 22, my God, my God. Let me let me just maybe pray the first few verses, 10, 15 verses of this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent, but you, you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you, and we're not ashamed, but I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me from out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart's like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaw. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me. All oh, my strength 
hasten to help me deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen this whole prayer is the prayer of Jesus on the cross now there's a key moment there's a key moment that's here in the end of chapter chapter Psalm 22 verse 21 but I want to I want to hone in on something I sometimes get in trouble for this. So, I mean, just I'll just warn you that this is the thing that whenever I talk about this, this is the thing that pastors call up and say, hey, now, Brian, I, I just, I'm not sure. But, but the more I study Psalm 22, the more I am convinced that when Jesus prays this prayer, that he is asking a real question. In other words, Jesus is not simply praying my God my God you have forsaken me there's something more going on my God my God why why have you forsaken me now I want to be I want to be clear about this I'm clear about a couple of things number one Jesus is God and he's always God he is the God man God in the flesh 100% God 100% man those two natures are united in the singular person of Christ and that is true from the moment of his confection on confection the moment of his conception all the way into eternity Jesus has his two natures and they cannot be separated from one another but there is a way that Jesus, according to the personal union, according to the way that the two natures are united in Jesus, there is a way that he does not use all of his divine attributes through his human nature. In other words, there's a way that Jesus can be weak. There's a way that Jesus can be tired. There's a way that Jesus, who is God, can be dead. Stunning. And there's a way that Jesus cannot know things. And just like the one who is life can die, so the one who is um, omniscient, who knows everything, can be ignorant. He can hand himself over to ignorance. And it seems to me that for the three hours of darkness on the cross, Jesus hands himself over to ignorance about why he is suffering now he knows he knows that he's suffering he knows that he's suffering the wrath of God he knows that he's suffering unjustly in fact he prays and he says that even the fathers who are sinners when they were suffering they cried out to you and you delivered them he knows that God had rescued sinners and that he hadn't deserved the suffering And yet, he is suffering these things. And he doesn't know why. Now, he knows why on the cross. I mean, he, he knows why in his trials. He knows why when he's talking to his disciples, it's necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem. He knows why even that day on the cross when he says, you will be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he's before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. But for those three hours of intense suffering on the cross, the, the reason that he's there is hidden from him. The purpose of his suffering 
is hidden. And I think, again, this is just this is now my thinking on this, but I think it's because if, if Jesus were to know during this three hours that he was suffering the wrath of God to win for himself a people, if he was suffering the wrath of God for a short time that would have eternal benefit and uh, and that he would be dead only for a few days and then be raised again, that there would be a way that you can endure it. There would be a way that you can say, okay, I, I can see the end. I'm going to get there. But that the Lord, so that his suffering would be filled up, the Lord removes from himself anything that would give him comfort, anything that would give him peace, anything that would give him just even a shred of relief. It's gone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's something more, too. I think oftentimes we think of this as the Son suffering the wrath of the Father. I think it's even more than that. It's not like, you know, one of the problems is we think, we're tempted to think sometimes that God the Father is like, here's God the Father is just and God the Son is kind. But notice how there's three prayers on the cross. The first thing Jesus says, the last thing Jesus says, and the middle thing that Jesus says on the cross are all prayers. And the first and the last are addressed to God the Father. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father. But this one is in the middle, is addressed to Eli, Eli, my God, my God. In a profound way, Jesus is suffering his own wrath over sin and the Holy Spirit's wrath over sin. It's the wrath of God over sin, all of God's wrath, even his own anger over sin is being poured out onto Jesus. This is not, we don't want to talk about this idea of you know, the feminist theologians and some liberal theologians will talk about the atonement of Jesus on the cross as divine child abuse, like the father is beating the son or whatever. And yet it is the son suffering his own wrath as well as all the wrath of God. Now, the important thing to know about this, the why being hidden from Jesus, is that it is only for a time and that even at the beginning of the cross, Jesus knows why he's there. And then at the end of the cross, he knows why he's there. When he says, in fact, I proof, I, I, sorry, I thirst. When he prays, Father, into your hands I commend myself. Especially when he prays, it is finished. He knows why he was there and he knows what he has done, has been accomplished. To God's glory and to man's salvation. And we get a hint of that in Psalm 22. So in Psalm 22, I stopped in the middle of verse 21. Listen to how it goes like this. I'm reading from the New King James, which I think is the most faithful translation to this particular thing in this particular text. Psalm 22, verse 21. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. There's this moment when when God has determined that Jesus has suffered now the, the, the wrath, 
the, the eternal holy wrath of God. There's this moment where that is filled up, where it's accomplished. And then Jesus realizes it. And he knows it. You have answered me. I will declare, I'll pick up the end of the psalm here. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard him. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive, a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted to the next it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will yet be born that he has done this. Now, the indication I believe in the text is going to happen at this moment when Jesus says, I thirst. In other words, you'll remember at the beginning of the crucifixion, at the beginning of the crucifixion, they offered him gall, wine mixed with gall. It was kind of a painkiller, and he refused it. But now, after this suffering is over, he's going to turn around and say, I thirst. But here's the context. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, The man is calling for Elijah. And they at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. This, by the way, to think that a reed is maybe, what, 18 inches, 2 feet long. So when you're crucified, you're, just, you're not that high. You know, they could reach up and hit you with a stick, jump and slap you in the face if they wanted to. It's, this idea of being, like, really high lifted up is just probably from our art. But you're, just, you're hanging there, right there. Reach up and give it to him. And they said, wait, let's see if Elijah will come. And now we'll swap over to John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to, to fulfill the scriptures, sorry, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. So that Jesus comes out of this great depth of suffering and then recognizes that he's done it, that he's crossed the finish line, that he's accomplished what he came to do, that he has died to pay the price for sinners and to win for us salvation. So he asks for a little bit of, to wet his lips so that he can cry out his last couple of cries of victory. And then he says, it's finished. Now what is finished? That's what we'll talk about on the other side of the break. 
Hey, you're listening to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller here. God be praised that we get to sit and think of the last few moments now of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Uh, we'll have a short break and we'll be right back to talk, take up these words. It is finished uh, and press through to the death and burial of our Lord. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. On this Monday, April 6th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, Doris Mueller of Redbud, Illinois, as she gives thanks for the blessing of her husband, Armand. Doris made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of her husband, Reverend Armand Mueller, as they celebrate his birthday today. Thank you, Doris and Armand Mueller, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. I got two things for you guys this week. Number one, I wrote a little book called And Take They Are Life, Martin Luther's Theology of Martyrdom. You can find out about that book at wolfmuller.co slash life. You can order it from Amazon or Kindle, or you can download it for free, a free PDF that's there as well. So wolfmuller.co slash life. And also, we're going to try in the next few weeks to try to host a worldwide Bible class. Tuesday mornings, 10 o'clock Central Time. We'll record them and put them up on YouTube and stuff like that later, but it might be fun to join us live. The link to join that class can be found at the website, wolfmuller.co slash Bible. I hope you and your family will make plans to join me. Thanks. God's peace be with you. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Uh, God be praised for... God be praised for his word that sustains us even in these times of crisis and pandemic. Remember, there are no theological emergencies. There might be emergencies to life, but no emergencies to doctrine. Uh, I got a note during the break. I checked the Facebook live feed, and apparently there's four times that uh, the Gospel of Mark quotes the Aramaic of Jesus' original words, and perhaps a fifth if you count the name of the place of the crucifixion in the Gospel of Mark. We're talking about the last few minutes now of Jesus' life. So remember the crucifixion was from from 9 until 3, 6 hours on the cross. And the 3 hours of darkness were from noon until 3. Some some churches, we were going to this year, maybe we will if we have Holy Week sometime uh, in the future, um, to talk about, the to have a Tre Ore service. That's this classic service on Good Friday that lasts for the last three hours of Jesus on the cross. That's the tray or the three-hour service from noon to three. It's sometimes, it's nice, it's kind of one of these come-and-go services, so you have 20-minute services on the seven last words of Jesus, and people can kind of come on their lunch break or come and go as they're able. So it's a beautiful thing to do. Um, and, but, and that's why, that's what that celebrates, the, the Friday, the three hours on the Friday when Jesus was suffering. 
So we have these three hours of darkness where darkness covers the face of the earth, where Jesus is being stricken, afflicted, smitten by God, where he's bearing our sins and the punishment for our sins, where he's standing in the breach, taking God's wrath, and then and suffering, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then now he's on the other side of it. I thirst, and then it is finished. Tetelestai, apparently, in Greek, if you paid off your loan, they would write on it, Tetelestai, paid in full. How fantastic is that? That Jesus is paying our, our fine. He's paying our ransom. He's paying the cost that we owe. You know, just think about it like in the Old Testament. when, if you, if you stole someone's ox, then you would have to restore it fourfold. You've got to give them back four ox. There's a price to be paid for you for for our crimes and and that's not only true with our neighbor but most especially it's true with God there's a price to be paid there's a ransom there's a there's a cost and Jesus is paying the the cost it's not gold or silver remember how how Peter says this I'll read this verse to you this beautiful verse I got I didn't think about it till just now so I got to find it where Peter says, First Peter chapter 1, where he says, he, he paid this price, and it wasn't with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death. That's the, that's the price that's been paid. And I'm looking for it, and I can't find it. Ah, yes. No, no, that's it. The salvation was sure. How come I can't find that text? It's right here, First Peter chapter one. I should have looked it up for He is he has purchased us, not with gold or silver. He's paid the price, which is his blood. And I'll find it. I gotta look it up here. And and this is what he's doing. He's now shedding his blood for us, and he says it's finished. Now what's finished there? What is finished? What is ended? What is over? I, I I think I think it's nice to th to think of it like this to think of to to think of of God in the garden. Oh yeah, here it is. First Peter one eighteen. You guys are helpful. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the price that's paid. Now remember Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, remember how this worked. Here Adam and Eve ate from the tree and now they're the God's enemies. Now they are, uh, now they are uh, exiled from the presence of God. Now they are hiding in the bushes with the devil. Oh. And the Lord comes along and he says, now this is not going to do. I'm going to start something here. I, I'm, there will, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to the devil, between her seed and your seed. In other words, I'm starting a war between Adam and Eve and all of humanity that would come from Adam and Eve and the devil and sin and death. I'm starting that war in the garden. And Jesus now on the cross says, it's finished. The war... The war between heaven and earth, the war between us and sin and death and the devil, the conflict that we have with God, it's finished. 
the separation that we have from the holiness of God and the presence of God and the perfection of God, it's finished. The punishment for all of our sins, it's done. It's over. It's accomplished. It's won. Jesus has won the day for you, for me. He's won. It's finished. Be absolutely beautiful. The price has been paid. This is, why, this is why Paul says, we came to you preaching nothing but Christ crucified. His crucifixion, his suffering, his death, his blood, this is the price. Like a lamb without spot or blemish, he carries our sins away. How fantastic. And there's one more thing to do. It is finished, he said. And now we'll get to the last words of Jesus. For this, we'll switch over to Luke 23, starting with verse 45. While the sun's light had failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Hmm. It's an amazing sort of thing to think that Jesus is praying now the Psalms and, uh, and he ends his prayer here with Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. We talked about how three of the seven words of Jesus are prayers, how the first one and the last one are prayers of the Son to the Father, and here he's handing himself over into his Father's care. This has been the mark of Christian prayers now in the morning and in the evening, I mean, from the invention of Psalm 31, but especially since this day, that we are commending ourselves into the hands of God. And that means something. I mean... It's this trustful. Remember when you used to go to camp or whatever and you'd get someone up on a platform and everybody would put their hands out like this and you say, okay, you got to fall down and we'll trust you and you got to do it. This. But the father is there and he says, now jump and I got you. And Jesus says, okay, I'm jumping. And the father catches him. And he breathes his last. Luke 23. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read a few texts here, and I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. I don't know what to make of them. There's some things that accompany the death of Jesus. I mean, there's some physical things that happen when Jesus dies that are mysterious, and I I I simply don't know I, I simply don't know what to make of them. I'll make a few. I mean, I'll make a few comments, but I mean, maybe check back in ten years. Luke 23, we'll start with verse 45, 47. While the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breast. You can see it. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Matthew 27 reports it like this. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also were opened, 
and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming up out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him kept keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this is the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So there's all these things that accompany the, the death of Jesus. The, there's an earthquake. There's the temple that's torn in two. There's the centurions that see these things and they say, truly this was the Son of God. And then the, this earthquake opens up the, a bunch of graves and three days later, these, the people who were dead are raised and are walking through Jerusalem. Wow. I mean, this is kind of, so, like, there's these things that the prophets talked about happening at the end of the world, and now they all are kind of just little mini burst of them right at the death of Jesus. Now, perhaps the most significant is this tearing of the curtain. Remember the temple, first the tabernacle, and then the temple was separated into two main rooms. There was the holy place and then the holiest of holies, this square, this cube room where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be, where the priest would go on the Day of Atonement to put the blood that's there. It was this holiest of holies, and the curtain there is torn. Now, there's a lot of things to say about that. I mean, there's a lot of ways to preach this, but... You know, that the work that was required of that place is over now. The atonement has been has been won. Jesus is, is going to present his blood, not in the earthly holy of holies, but in the tabernacle made without hands in heaven itself. Someone indicated that it's torn from top to bottom. In other words, it's God who's tearing it. And, and this is a nice sermon to preach on this, and it means that God is loose. He's torn it, he's, and he's out, and he's after you. Just like the open tomb. I don't know. That's all preaching stuff. I'm not a. I just. I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure what to do with all of this. But Jesus is going to have to be removed. We're going to run out of time. So let's let's get to the text. Now, John 19. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the Jews are saying to Pilate, hey, can we get these bodies off of the crosses uh, before the Sabbath day? So Pilate says, sure. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they did not break his legs. Remember, the crucifixion was supposed to take a long time, but Jesus, weakened by the flogging and, and also from suffering God's wrath. Ooh. So they came and they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Remember how the Lord took to, took Eve out of the rib of Adam, and now he takes the church out of the side of Christ by baptism and the supper. He who saw it is born witness, his testimony is true. He knows that he's telling the truth, that you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they pierced. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. 
Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Remember I got to go see a passion play a couple years ago, and um, the three moments that most clearly struck me were number one, when Jesus was crowned with thorns, and they put the staff above his head, and they bent it down to press the crown into his head. The second was the portrayal of Judas, who went and hung himself with his stole. But the third was the removal of Jesus from the cross. The removal, uh, uh, taking Jesus down from his, taking his body down from the cross. And they wrapped a cloth above the stake and around, behind Jesus' arm, across his chest. They put the ladder up, they got the crowbar, and they pulled down the nail on one side and pulled down the nail on the other. And then they took the lifeless body of Jesus and put it in the tomb for you. Because this suffering, dear saints, this death, this burial, this blood, this agony, this forsakenness, it's all for you. Jesus is going to lay in the tomb so that you can rest from your labors and be found in eternal life as a child of God. Well, there it is, the last days of Jesus, but we know it doesn't end there. Three days later, he's out of the tomb, and that also is for you. He sits at the right hand of the Father, even now, that's also for you. And he is coming again to judge the quick and the dead. That also is for you. God be praised. May God's peace be with you. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, thanks for listening to Cross Defense. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Well, thanks again for being a podcast listener here on Cross Defense. If there was if you have any questions about today's broadcast, any comments, I'd love to hear from you. Wolfmuller.co slash contact is the website. Way to get a hold of me. If there was something helpful for you and you think of someone else, hey, I know my cousin Jeffrey would really love that thing. Well, let's send it to him. That's the way that we spread the word, so God be praised for that. Uh, we also are going to start this worldwide Bible class. We'll try it for a while on Tuesday mornings, 10 o'clock Central Time, and the way to find out about that is wolfmuller.co slash Bible. Check that out and join us. If you enjoy Cross Defense, I think you'll enjoy that as well. Make plans to join us. Uh, thanks again, and God's peace be with you.